Welcome to Creative Adversity, the podcast where we explore how entrepreneurial challenges form leaders and create business opportunities. I'm Sarah Malter, founder of Capitalize and Capitalize Technology, where we help innovative companies unlock funding. Over the last decade, I've been in the privileged position to witness the ups and downs of thousands of businesses and have been struck by the role adversity plays in creating standout leaders and life-changing business opportunities. I'm on a mission to transform the way leaders and entrepreneurs view perceived failures and instead get them to understand their true potential, that adversity can be the birthplace of innovation and creativity. It's only through immense pressure that diamonds are formed. In this podcast, we will hear stories from incredible leaders and entrepreneurs, learn how they overcame their challenges, and how to reframe adversity into opportunity. Welcome to Creative Adversity. Brilliant. So today on this episode, we have Claire Knight coming to us from DAX. First of all, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We'd love to hear about your journey of becoming a successful founder and CEO. So if you wouldn't mind starting from the beginning, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So I actually started my career as a lawyer. So started all the way back at university, actually. So I went to Oxford, read law, did the classic straight out of Oxford into one of the big magic circle firms, jumped over to work at an insurance litigation company where I spent a good six years as as a litigator. And it's through this that I then got connected to insurance because my clients were the insurers. Back in 2013, I was given the opportunity to go on secondment to his Cox, and it was marvellous. And I, I never went back to being a lawyer. So that's kind of how I fell into insurance. Since then, I've worked sort of across the insurance space, but worked for carriers and for cover holders. And then back in 2018, I became an independent consultant and again, worked across the market around digitization. So looking at how can we make processes better through automation and through digital. Worked with some really great outfits, most latterly worked with the Lloyds Market Association on all things future at Lloyds. And that came to a close back in the beginning of 21. And I came out of Lloyds and I just thought, do you know what? There's a really amazing opportunity here to build a platform that solves all of Delegated's problems. And Lloyds were on their journey and it, you know, my kind of vision didn't really align to theirs. And I thought, well, it's a big old world out there. There's a lot of delegated business that happens outside of the Lloyds market. I think when you're in London, you get so kind of captivated by by Lloyds, you know, because it is, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing is, is, is Lloyds. So I sort of did a bit of research, gave myself six months. I had six months slush and I thought, right, if, you know, I'll, I'll build a business plan and go and see if I can raise some investment and see if anybody shares my vision and, and believes in this. And luckily for me, somebody did. And investment landed in July 21. And that was the start of DAX. Wow. <laughs> so it's quite a transition going from working for a company like Lloyd's to becoming an entrepreneur. How did you make that transition mentally? Yeah. So, so for me, I'd already kind of taken the step of risk because I was an independent consultant. So I'd actually set up my own limited company back in 2018 to become a limited company. I'd stepped away from the world of work at that point. So it was kind of easier to take that step. And I think once you stepped out of the world of employment, it's then easier to take more risk because you become more comfortable with it. Another thing that really kicked me to doing it was I was made redundant from a cover holder that I was working for, from an MGA I was working for. 
So that also was a bit of a realization that just because you're employed, you're not secure. And I think having been employed for the whole of my adult life, there is that mental space around employment where you feel like you're safe. Employment is safe. It's not risky. Most of the evidence that we are presented with supports that theory, right? Because it's actually relatively rare that people are laid off or sacked, particularly because we've got really good employment laws in the UK. But it, it made me realize that it's all a bit of a myth, the security of employment. So I firmly believe that most successes are built on learning from things that have gone wrong, failures, and that it's essential that for success, you have those failures so that you can learn from them. Are there any standout lessons that have brought you to the success that you have today? I can't say yes from an entrepreneurial perspective, right? So I can't say that I've been out and I've tried to build companies and they've failed and I've tried again and I've failed. You know, I, I, that's not happened to me yet. F- failures for me have come in um, as, a, as a lawyer, if you make mistakes, the impact can be quite high and the reaction and the treatment of yourself by other people in law firms is quite harsh. So actually in law firms, you get taught that you can't fail. You know, there's no such thing as failure. You, you, you have to win. Particularly when you look at litigation, we only go in if we, particularly on behalf of insurers, we only go in if we know we're going to win. But I, I have made a lot of mistakes as a lawyer, right? Don't, don't mind admitting that. A couple of which had dire consequences. But one of the things that also taught me, to be fair, was the power of good leadership and the power of bad leadership. So I I made a mistake and a good leader understood and worked with me to resolve it and recognized their role in it. So a good leader recognized that they had not given me the adequate support as a trainee or junior lawyer that I needed, took the responsibility on their shoulders and supported through that. Bad leader did quite the opposite and blew up, effing and jeffing all around the office, threatening to sack, get it fixed, this is all your fault. So there was two really marked examples of where I thrived in those situations and where I then learned and developed and became a more confident human being and therefore was better at my job versus where that did not happen. So, so for me, in my early stage career, that was really quite distinct for me in my learning and education around what makes a good leader. And has that helped shape you becoming a leader? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So obviously, you've been on a great journey from you know, employment to self-employed to your own business. Were there any times when you thought, mm, I don't know if I'm going to succeed? I don't know if this is actually going to work. Uh, and if so... How did you pull yourself through it? So when I started DAX, I had this real fire in my belly. When I was looking for investment, you know, I was so passionate. And, and that still remains, by the way, um, that passion and that, that fire for this solution, for this way of working, for this different world. What I have found is this, right? You go in and you've got this fire in your belly and you're raising this investment and you're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting. And then this investment lands. And I can remember the day that the investment landed. And I was up at my cottage in Yorkshire working from there and I couldn't move. I had this like moment of freeze and this moment of anxiety and dread and fear because it was like, oh, I've, I've got to do this now. Like this is real money. This is a real thing, right? And for a day I was frozen. I couldn't work and I couldn't concentrate and I didn't want to leave the house because then you have all these, you know, God, I've got to build it. Am I, do I know everything? I think I do, but do I? I think I know the answer, but do I? No, I do. I do know the answer. And I just sat there. 
and and I went to bed and I thought I, I can't do this I can't keep doing this you know this isn't you so the next morning I kind of pulled on my boots and it was wet and miserable and went off and did a big sort of 15 mile yomp that I'd never done before and just on my own in this sort of gray grizzly weather and that was it that cleared it I walked through it and then you get to the next bit which is oh god it's built I've got to sell it now right um and then and then you go through another spiral right of self-doubt and of worry and anxiety and then and then the product goes live and then boom, it was like crazy, you know, a crazy, ridiculous month, right? And it was just absolutely crazy. And the, the response that I had was overwhelmingly positive. When people say roller coaster, that is exactly what it's been like. It's been like moments of unreal high intermingled with, you know, moments of real true anxiety that I've never experienced before. I've never been an anxious person. So, yeah. You mentioned investment, and of course, you went through raising around. Um, guessing it's a, a seed round of investment. It's been a bit of an unusual journey for me on the investment front, because I was lucky enough to be introduced to an incredible management consultancy called Simpulse. They, at that stage, were pivoting into investment into entrepreneurialism and to support people like me on their journey and then down the line when the product is live because it's accretive to what they're doing we can join forces and provide consultative services that back it and they also have their own internal tech house that has been amazing because they've come in and provided me with the developers and with the project managers and then i've come in with my idea and concept and designs and network and knowledge and we've created a a limited company in, in the UK together. And it's really interesting because it's one thing creating a product. It's one thing creating an amazing product. It's a different thing altogether creating an amazing company. And for me, that has been a completely different journey to creating a product and selling a product. For me, they're two distinct things. How have you been able to create a company? Through a lot of trial and error to begin with, not knowing what I was doing, because I am everything at the minute. I'm HR, I'm IT, I'm, you know, C-suite, I'm ops, I'm finance, I'm literally everything. HR, right? I've been drafting all the HR contracts and the HR manual and all of that good stuff. But the thing that has really been game-changing has been the appointment of a chairman. So we appointed a chairman to the company about two months ago, um, a chap called Richard, who has previously built from scratch with his own hands a fintech company scaled it and sold it recently and has come in um, as our chairman and has been really super hands-on and opened my eyes and educated me a lot in on that side of things on the how to run a good successful company before he'd even come in there were certain things that I knew in my gut that I needed to get right from the start and for me that was people and culture that was actually my starting point in how to run a good company, um, putting aside all of the actual practical and operational stuff. Because for m my strong belief is that if you don't have good people doing jobs that they love, then you're not going to survive, right? I think that is really the art of thriving and succeeding. I've sort of adopted this principle of, you know, through our recruitment strategy is starting with our values. At the very beginning, we do a vetting process, which is, does this person align with our values? And if they don't, then it's regardless of how experienced they are, it's a no. I think that's fantastic. I think quite often the idea of people in a company gets put to the back because you have 
shareholders to make sure that they're happy and you have other KPIs you have to meet. But actually, any business, the heart and soul of it is the people who run it on a day-to-day basis. So putting them first, I think, is a fantastic way to, to run your business. So um, how have you been affected and the business been affected by the COVID pandemic? COVID, I would say, accelerated mindsets in my market. Because before COVID, if I'd have tried to launch DAX before COVID, it would have gone absolutely nowhere. People wouldn't even have looked at it. They'd have turned around and told me to F off. My industry is very, very, very backwards and archaic and old fashioned. When I say that, people in the Lloyds building today, as we speak, are sat in their box, which is their market stall, and they are putting a wet stamp, as in like they used to use in the post office, to dunk, to dunk, right? On documents, getting a pen writing numbers into the boxes for a reference number, using another stamp, which is their company stamp, little wet stamp, and then signing in that stamp in order to sign documents. Wow. Before COVID, 99%, that is how the Lloyds market operated. Everything paper, you know, brokers were walking around with suitcases, armfuls of paper. So this is before COVID. So you can kind of understand why why me launching something like this before COVID would not have landed as well. I posted something on LinkedIn a little while ago, like a few months ago, talking about innovation and how slow the the insurance industry is to catch up with digital. And some fellow went on and said, oh God, could you just stop banging on about, you know, digital? We're really advanced now. We use email and DocuSign. (laughs) (laughs) And did you do slow clap? Oh, (laughs) no. So yeah, I think from a mindset behavior and behavior perspective, COVID, I would say, has helped because my platform is all around online collaboration. And because we'd started using Teams and Miro and all of the rest of it, Zoom and white online whiteboards, people started to realize that actually this is a really, can be a really efficient way of working. Do you think you are a born entrepreneur or do you think you have become one? I think to be an entrepreneur, you've got to have a certain mindset, right? There are more people, I think, that have got a mindset of security and comfort and non-risk. And I just want to go into work and do a good job. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, the world needs those people. I need those people. God, where would we be if we were all entrepreneurs? I do think some people just have it in them. And it might take longer to come out. It might never come out. That entrepreneurialism might show itself in different ways, right? It might show itself in voluntary work or in creative projects or whatever it might be. You know, this entrepreneurial spirit doesn't have to realize itself in leaving your job and setting up a company. It can come through in loads of different ways. It can come through in, you know, when you're looking after your kids, you know, opening their minds to different opportunities. So I think there's probably like a whole gang of people that that have that slight contrarian edge to them. So yeah, I, I do think that people are born with a certain spark and a certain something. And, and it may not realize itself early either. That might not be something that is immediately evident. You know, that might come with age and with learning and experience and understanding of yourself. You know, I think I've been on a journey of understanding myself more or trying to understand myself more and understanding what makes me tick and what brings me joy. You know, I'm, I'm nearly 40. So for me, this kind of entrepreneurial journey has started arguably rel- relatively late. Or is there such a thing? I don't know. So yeah, people born entrepreneurs? Yeah, maybe. As an entrepreneur, is there a tool or something that you use every day that you could not live without? 
is there a tool I use every day that I couldn't live without? I want to say something like, I want to say something like journaling or exercise. These are things that I do, right? So, so I recently picked up journaling because of the, the, the anxieties and the stresses of the past year. I'm finding it really good therapy just to write things down and to write down my thought process and to, to get it on paper. And I do exercise. My exercise has, has de- decreased actually since lockdown started. Pre-lockdown, I was incredibly motivated on the exercise front. Post being locked down in 2020, I found it harder to get back into it. Um, but cycling is a big thing for me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big road cyclist. Um, but is there a specific tool? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Not not right now. I want to say something profound or significant that people can take away and learn from. But yeah, I don't have it. I don't. I don't think I've nailed it yet. You know, I'm kind of. I'm still on a journey of learning. I think. I think we're all on a journey of learning, and so it's great to be able to admit that. So I think that's fantastic. You mentioned anxiety. Is there anything that scares you in business? Is there anything that keeps you awake at night? The anxiety comes from. Um, so there's two things. One is doing a good job, doing a good job, being a success, getting this right for myself, but also for my investors. That's certainly where a stress comes from. The second is I'm now responsible for people. You know, I'm now responsible for people, for people's livelihoods, for people being able to pay the rent. And that means a lot to me. That's definitely something that gives me anxiety at times is that concept of if this doesn't work, then, you know, these people have trusted in me and have jumped over and have taken the risk to work for an unfounded and unproven startup. Those are definitely the two that, that get me. So obviously we talked about risk and being comfortable taking risks. It sounds like you're fairly comfortable taking risks. Have you always been that way? It sounds like from a young age, you've just kind of done things or did something help to shape you get more comfortable with risk taking? Do you know, I think I've always been comfortable with it. And I think that, I think because I've always worked, I have this mindset of you can always make more money. And because I'm not driven by volume of money, you know, I've come from a not well-off background and we had a wonderful upbringing. You know, we had everything that we could possibly need. We didn't have stuff, but, but what do you need? right? The concept of owning loads of stuff is really anathema to me. Um, so, so I've always kind of had this mindset of, well, what's the worst that can happen, right? The worst that can happen is that you go and live with your sister for a bit and you get a job. That is literally the worst thing that can happen. And then you get a job and you earn some more money and then you, you get back in and you get another job. I've kind of been through different things and like you know things like getting divorced at a relatively young age that was a huge psychological step back right for me and that was like okay so yeah you're in a load of debt again um and you're homeless but you just gotta get on right okay well what's the opportunity here well you don't need stuff well that's easy right what's the opportunity can you spend more time traveling right go go and travel the world jump on a plane what's stopping you so I've, i've always been quite sort of free minded and and I'm I think one of my personal values is contrarianism, which probably ties in with that risk taking, right? Or always taking a different road, not being afraid to to take a different path to other people and not being too bogged down by what other people are doing and, and the path they're taking. There is a I don't know if you have much Walt Whitman in the UK, but there's a poem that they used to do in primary school. Uh, it's called The Road Not Taken. And it's all about, you know, these two paths that diverge in the woods and, and I chose the, the road less traveled. 
And that always stuck with me. And I think that sounds very much like the kind of mentality that you have as well. Yeah, 100%. Do you know, I often, and it's really stupid when I go running around the woods up on the common or when I go running up in, in the dales, that's what I do. I literally go for a run or I'll go for a walk or I'll go for a cycle and I'll go, I've not been down that road before. Let's see what's down there. So, so yeah, that, that kind of translates not just to work life, I suppose. That's genuinely just physically how I live my life. I think that's fantastic. Do you think that your leadership and your investment rounds and the way that you run the business has been affected by being a woman? It's a good question. The investment so far, absolutely not. No. For me, my lens and my perspective is a little different because in my head, I don't, and this is going to sound really stupid, I don't associate with being a classic woman. Like I, I, I just, I don't resonate with a lot of the, 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 the classically female characteristics, probably because I'm quite upfront and I'm not afraid of difficult conversations and I'm quite bullshy. And for some reason, when I look at investment and, and these things, even though I know that every human is biased against women, whether you're a woman or a man, I'm biased against women, right? And I recognize it and I counter it. But yeah, for some reason, I, I, I sort of just bulldoze through life, assuming that I'm going to get my way, I think. I think as a leader... I do think it makes you more empathetic and it makes me and my team much more aware of inclusion and equality. But yeah, I mean, I do have examples of where I've been overlooked because I'm a woman. I had a recent thing which I found hilarious where somebody, we were waiting for a lift and he introduced himself to Luke, you know, or, you know, who are you? Where do you work? Blah, 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 blah. And I think he said something like, oh, are you, are you the founder then? And he was like, you've not even said hello to the woman that's next to me, but this is my boss, Claire. You know, it was one of those classic moments of like being invisible because you're a woman. Um, and people don't mean anything by it. I think it's just, it's just ignorance. It's not the norm, right? We're culturally normalized to see men as leaders and founders and CEOs, right? We're not culturally normalized to see women in those roles because that's just not the way that it's been. And I'm aware of the time. So I'm going to ask one final question for you. What is something that people may not know about you that would surprise them? That's a tough one. I'm a pretty open book. (laughs) I think people are surprised when they... So people see me and they see a blonde, relatively good-looking woman, right? They then get surprised when I tell them that I've got a law degree from Oxford. They get surprised when I tell them that I'm from a relatively low-income background in Yorkshire. They then get surprised when I say that I cycle and have cycled miles and miles, right? I cycled from Lloyds to Milan in eight days, 800 miles, quite extreme cycling. They then get surprised when I say that I ride a motorbike. I think people are quick to judge based on what I look like when they first meet me as to who I'm going to be. But then we kind of, you know, dive in and I'm like, yeah, I I scuba dive, I ski, I travel extensively. I'm completely independent, you know, and, and I think there's an expectation when people see you that the stuff you have is your husband's. I still think that, you know, I still feel that. Me and my boyfriend will go on the motorbike. People will be like, oh, dude, love your bike. And he's like, it's hers, it's her bike. So, so yeah, that's, that's maybe it. What do you ride? A Triumph Street Twin. Uh-huh. Yeah, like an old school cafe racer, 900cc. It's beautiful. Wow. Um, really beautiful bike. And then my road bike, for anybody that's interested, is a Canyon Ultimate. <laughs> 
I'm a big fan of the Ducati, the Ducati Monster specifically. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. what my boyfriend wants. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. He's going to have to save it some <laughs> uh, Amazing. Well, Claire, thank you so much for your time today and for all of your insights. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If so, please subscribe below for more inspirational stories and lessons in creative adversity. Remember, the difference between setback and opportunity is only a matter of perception. Perception.